Are we recording? Yes. Are we rolling? We're rolling. You want to count down to go super in three, two, one. Hey, fam. <laughs> Would a countdown help? <laughs> Shall we start with death and heaven? <laughs> with our podcast anthem? <laughs> Please rise for the national anthem. <laughs> oh my gosh. Death in heaven, hold Call me together. Wow. <laughs> it's it's those... so good. How did we not think of this before? It's those evangelical bona fides coming through. <laughs> At last has paid off. <laughs> It was all worth it. We took, all that religious trauma. So gay, and we made a gay podcast about it. <laughs> all for the sake of a pun. Gays love puns. It's true. It's our culture. What's good, fam? This is the Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Brenna. And this week we're talking about the season finale, Death in Heaven? Death in Heaven. <laughs> Death in Heaven. We didn't just sing a song about it. <laughs> and I immediately forget. Okay. It's going great. <laughs> uh, forgettable just like the episode. Whoa. Anyways. Not Shots fired and we haven't even recorded anything. Spicy. <laughs> Okay, are you... Let's just... Let's pull the open. Let's pull the open. One of my first initial reactions that was very obvious to me is how much heavy plot lifting there yeah. is. Mainly in the first 10 minutes. And I was just like, whoa. But it's kind of throughout the episode. The amount of exposition that it requires for this story to work To work is... it all. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier because I was saying Dark Water is a way better episode. And I don't even like love Dark Water. But I just think it's a tighter script in that it functions better. Agreed. So this one, because of all the like, oh, well, I know that you're... I can defeat you, Cybermen, because you left one of your heads behind here. And I, Kate, left her to it. And we recognize you, the Doctor, because of the... Like, there's just a lot of that where it takes a minute for it to actually work correctly, quote-unquote. Yeah, and then we get Danny as the convenient question asker Yeah, with Seb. And he's like, how does this all work? What does it mean? And Seb's like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> this is this and this is that. And between him and Missy, okay. Yeah, Thank you yeah. for... Telling us what we need to know going in, and now we can actually have an episode. But, yes. Yeah. So that's a little distracting. And forced. Uh, absolutely. And speaking of forced, the whole cloud storage <laughs> heaven <laughs> metaphor, but absolutely not a metaphor because they take it so literally. Well, I mean, it's a play on the metaphor. Yeah. And it's just, whew, 2013. Anytime, Very 2013. Yeah, and anytime Moffat tries to make a joke about technology, it always ends up being a mess, which is why I feel like you should just keep writing your grumpy old man scripts wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You're writing your Dracula pilot, whatever. But leave technology jokes to people who actually have a grasp on what's current. Because when you make jokes like this, it's like, oh. <laughs> It's just not a hot take it's at all. sad. <laughs> I feel sad for you. Yeah. 
You know what is so weird? We were watching this episode and we were like, God, I love Osgood, but wait, doesn't she die in this episode? And then we were Googling because we were like, obviously she dies, but then she comes back. Spoiler alert, by the way. We Do you spoil even things. need to say that? <laughs> <laughs> Osgood comes back next season. But we were like, how can she? And so I Googled and they were like, oh, this is the Zygon. And I was like, girl, what? Uh, yeah. So this is sense. because there's been two Osgoods since the ceasefire in the 50th. So there are already two Osgoods by the time this episode happens. And then when we were watching it, I was like, okay, well, that seems like retconning after the fact later. So just so they can bring Osgood back because people loved her. But this time when we were watching it, I spotted when they're on the plane, Osgood gets something wrong. It's a, I forget what they're talking about. But there's another person on board who says, not Thunderbirds. And Osgood's like, what? And he <laughs> says, it was Colonel Ahmed, not Thunderbirds. And I was like, oh, shit. No, Moffat actually knew she was going to be a Zygon because Osgood wouldn't get shit wrong. That tracks. Yep. So actually. I see you, Internet. We've been planning ahead. I see, I see, I see. I, yeah, I'll buy it. At least it makes sense of things. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's. Still retconning, but I feel like that one was actually intentional and not oh. like, oh, well, this is. I don't. I've been know planning this all far. along. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but whether or not it was in Moffat's mind, could care less. But if the internet can make sense of something that I'm like, oh, that's not super forced, I'm like, sure. Yeah, that's cool. So I feel like the rest of my thoughts are less cohesive and more just like scattershot. Deck so seven. yeah, let's head to deck seven so we can dump out all our random thoughts. Perfect. Clara's eyes in the opening credits. <laughs> is it ironic? I take it as ironic. Maybe the show does not. Maybe I the show's just, actually being serious about I it. I think it would have made more sense for it to happen in Flatline, where she was actually being the doctor, versus just and because this cheeky. time she said, yeah. I am the doctor, and that's why that's why her eyes are in the credits instead of Peter Capaldi's. Yeah. I think that's silly. I think it's totally silly, and I'm here for it if it's silly, but... They're kind of being serious about it. And yeah. That I'm like, nah. <laughs> Doesn't hit. But sure, I guess. And I know, I feel like people really hated it. But those are the people that hated Clara. So they're like, fuck this. This is yes. becoming I can, I Clara can Who, not the, Doctor Who. Yeah, the Gallifrey subreddit does not like this move or Clara in general. Sure. Of course, if you're not a fan of Clara in the first place, probably not down for that move. But And also probably not down for this podcast. <laughs> I feel like we are pretty selective with what we take as Clara canon because I agree with the critique that Clara is written really unevenly. Yeah. And I, oh, yeah. We'll talk I about that take, later this episode. Yeah. I take the parts that I like of her and I leave the stuff that I don't. Hence, fuck that leaf. Yeah. We don't acknowledge that, right? There is no leaf. Man, again, it's been a minute since we've talked about how there's no such thing as a leaf. It shall endure. Yeah. Like, we will <laughs> never get over that. We stay mad about that leaf. But... Yeah, I, I think I can totally acknowledge how I am selective with what I consider as Clara Cannon and who I consider her to be. Similar to, like, who I consider Hermione to be in yeah. Harry Potter. I don't think that JK always gets Hermione right. No. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. Sorry that you got your own <laughs> character wrong. But, like, obviously Hermione is this person and some of the parts that you write her. Like, when she's—I think we talked about this in the first episode. Gilderoy when Lockhart. she gets really obsessed with Gilderoy Lockhart. And I was like, bro— yeah. Don't tell me. In summary, <laughs> space eyes, whack. 
actually whether or not they are Clara's. <laughs> Even the doctor's space eyes are whacked. I remember hating those credits the first time I saw them. I was like, I hope this is just for this one episode. And then they Absolutely continued not. to be the credits for his entire run. And similar I was like, well, okay. Similar to, I hope Amy narrates this opener for only one episode. Oh. Nope. <laughs> when I was a little girl. Yeah! <laughs> Make it stop! <laughs> anyway, it's enough. Um, More deck seven. We're doing great. Shell Gomez sound pretty Scottish here. Yeah, she'd like dialed it up Scottish. Fucking great. There's actually a line that she says that I wanted to find. Hang on. Photos with the big metal men. (laughs) I love it because it's like two Scots in one scene like bouncing off each other. I'm like, oh, the Scott energy. (laughs) Oh, the Scotch in here. Woo! Also... Osgood's the best. I think that's arguably one of Moffat's greatest additions to the Hooniverse. Oh, yeah, she really is the best. Also, I mean, can't go wrong with the bow tie and the button-up <laughs> fit. Like, come on, butch icon. Yay! <laughs> All the butches, yeah. like, show up in cosplay. They're like, oh, I just literally had this outfit in my closet already, so yeah. mine as well. <laughs> if you're at a con and there's not actually a queer meetup, just go to the Osgood cosplay <laughs> meetup. <laughs> uh... Did you catch the gun just right next to the fake-ass baby? In the pram when the unit surrounds the Cybermen. That like, lady get out your guns. Out the, yeah. I mean, of course, it's like... Oh, my well, God. Actually, it didn't need to be a fake baby, like... But you wouldn't have... Okay, that's fake. You wouldn't, have, <laughs> you wouldn't put a gun next to a real baby. It didn't need to be a fake baby. I take it back. <laughs> why was I so fixated on, why is there a fake baby? <laughs> And not. Well, okay. Anyways, it was still a weird scene. Like, great recovery. For different reasons. Weird scene. Speaking of babies and kids, what happens to the children who died? I didn't see any child sized Cybermen there. Are there just like kids in big ass cyber suits, like walking around? I don't know. I mean, it's just the epitome of normalized bodies get yes. turned into other normalized bodies. Yes. I don't know if only certain bodies can be turned into Cybermen. We don't yeah, take people she doesn't who had say disabilities that. She says, or children. At least based on what Missy is saying, right? she's like, the dead. Which makes me think that they're just not thinking about how much variety there are of bodies. They're just like, oh, everyone just looks like this. Or is it just because your mind has been uploaded and your body is being converted by the pollen, your body becomes Normalized. a typical body? Yeah. Mm. Mm. So Maybe we should have talked about that in the black art. Right? Don't don't pull on that thread. It's... Oh, yikes! Also, there's just so much bullshit in this episode that makes me fucking laugh. Like when Danny Pink is a Cyberman, we're not supposed to know it's him, but he's holding a paper that has also known as Danny Pink it's written in so huge big. <laughs> <laughs> like they couldn't have just like zoomed in on the form; they just had to like write it in circle it. Also, I feel like I distinctly remember being like, "That's Danny Pink," before he picked up that paper yes. that says also known as Danny Pink. And before he holds it in every other scene to make yes. sure that we know his motivations are oh rooted in the character of Danny. <laughs> uh. Speaking of that scene in the mausoleum or the funeral home. Yeah. Sir, <laughs> why would you have that funeral home so poorly lit? Like there are dead bodies everywhere. For spookiness. Sir. It's for the ambiance, Caitlin. Spookiness. Yes. Also, I can say, having watched The Haunting of Hill House, that a well-lit mausoleum is not any less terrifying. Okay, I mean... <laughs> that's a super good point. <laughs> like, but it still seems just like a poor choice. 
Am I wrong? <laughs> okay. Anyways. Doctor. Seven sugars. Seven sugar. Seven in your tea. Seven? Just keeps piling them. A whole seven so, sugars he, in he that tea. He slops so many in there that it overflows. <laughs> That is bonkers. Is that why he picks up the saucer as if he's going to drink (laughs) from the saucer? He's holding the saucer midair when they call him the president. And he's like, oh, excuse me, what? (laughs) What a dork. And you know what? This is my last random thought. But the Cybermen in the graveyard, (laughs) right, when they've been raised up, they look like they are going fucking through it. Like, it's the longest cyber party night and now the cold, harsh reality of day. They're just like drunk little babies, yeah. drunk little cyber babies. The one sitting on the ground, staring at the ground, just the one that kills me every time. It's like that cat meme. Of course, I'd bring this up. Just like this cat looking like it's it's got its tail between its leg and it's slopped yeah. over. Or like foxing. I don't know if anyone else will get that reference, but. You can include can it in the show the notes, maybe. They want. <laughs> Just staring into blank space. <laughs> How did I get here? What happened to me? <laughs> how did we get here? I mean, that is absolutely how I feel as the audience watching this episode. Yeah. So, same Cybermen, mm. hard same. It's what those kids would call a mood. Well, I think we've certainly dumped a lot on this deck seven in our pull to open. I guess we should leave that mess behind and head for the High Council of Gallifrey to talk about the only members of production I care about. Yes, please. Okay. Who do we have for the High Council of Gallifrey this episode? So, first off, Murray Gold. He seems to be playing with a lot of musical forms here. When is he not? Yeah. So a shout out especially to the very scary music he has for the funeral home scene. And then he writes like a almost a James Bond-esque spy yeah, theme. So <laughs> for when the doctor is falling through the sky and then manages to get his key out so he can fall into the TARDIS. Because it has, there's like a brassy flare. In the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, there's also just a good build-up to that. It's almost experimental sounding in the beginning. And yes. then it builds up into a really uh, classic James Bond spy Yeah, riff. it's the building cord. It stacks. And it's also interesting because it is his signature theme, but it ends on a major note instead of what it usually ends on is a minor note. So he's he's still doing 12's theme, but now because it's in the spy setting, mm-hmm. it's ending on a major chord. It also, I believe, when it stacks, ends on, I could be really wrong, it's been a while since I took music theory, but I'm pretty sure it's a diminished seventh, which is like a very common musical motif that you have that stacking chord. So I think Murray Gold's just having a good time in here, and I like it. Yeah. And then we do also get the silence in the library theme cue in this episode. Right. In the... 
The graveyard scene. Yeah. It's when the doctor realizes he's been having all those flashbacks and he realizes that he's not a good man. He's just an idiot with a box. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's probably like 16 bars or so before it actually hits the theme. It sounds like it's building up to those notes. And then it finally gets to it when he's like, I am an idiot. So maybe Murray just likes to use that theme as a cue for when the doctor is realizing something. Mm-hmm. Or a character like Clara, Clara yeah. is realizing something under the bed. I think they're the only two who get that cue. And then obviously the only other member of the High Council is Rachel Talalay again. More yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, come through with those horror bona fides for sure. Mm-hmm. I do think especially, I think the cyber pollen scene is spooky and the scene in the funeral home is like legitimately scary and makes me feel bad. <laughs> Shakes head violently. <laughs> do not whine. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Anyways. See now, that's a High Council I can get behind. Mostly because we didn't talk about Moffat, maybe? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, sorry to break it to you, but we have to talk about him. Mm. Grumble, grumble. Come on, let's head to the Black Archive. Let's talk about that ableist shit and Moffat's trash feminism. Fine. Okay, so we're in the Black Archive. Shall we start with sexism or ableism today? Mm, hard choice, hard mm-hmm. choice. Flip a coin. Why don't we start with good old sexism? <laughs> Do let's. I don't know why. <laughs> I just picked the first one he said. But Moffat, yeah, uh, the boy's trying to feminism again. He's trying to do a feminism. He's trying to do it. We do have another entry for the Moffat wants a woman to step on his necklace. Mm, can I officially add Kate Lethbridge-Stewart to the list? Indeed you may. Thank you. Yeah, the way that she walks into that scene, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I see. I do like her orange shoes, though. I mean, Kate is great. Yes, orange shoes, Big, big great. fan. I like her delivery of... Sorry, you left this behind on one of your previous attempts. Tosses the cyberhead like she's dropping a mic. I feel like she's elevating that script. Yeah. Big top energy over there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, Am big I lying? top energy. Where's no, the there is no lie. No. Where is the lie.gif? There is none. <laughs> but speaking of just like, again, seeing Moffat's writing through the character. Yeah. I could get... It's very much the pinnacle of what he would consider feminism to be, especially in the line where she's listing out her credentials, introducing herself, and the first thing she lists is mother of mother two. Of two. Kate Stewart, divorcee, mother of two, keen gardener, outstanding bridge player, also chief scientific officer, unified intelligence task force, who currently have you surrounded. And like, that's great and all, but it's very much like, see what I did? Yeah. I did a feminism. feminism. <laughs> Girl. Pinnacle. This is what it's about, right? Girl, no. Where's my reward? Where's my award? Give me my cookies. Well, shall we jump into the ableist mess? Because, girl, there is multiple tears this time. There is a lot in this episode. It's very upsetting. So I'm just going to go in order-ish, like chronological. Oh, sure. First of all... When the Cybermen all take off out of St. Paul's and they're like, it's so many. And Osgood says 87. And they look at her and she goes, OCD with a shrug. What? <sighs> that sucks. Like, what? That sucks. I don't, how do, 
how is that OCD? Like, it's not. And that's the thing, like, OCD often gets framed as you're really good at counting or you like things just so, when in fact, obsessive compulsive disorder is a disordered thinking and it involves a lot of intrusive thoughts. And so I know a lot of people on the internet that I follow who have OCD have talked about how upsetting these jokes are because it changes the cultural discourse about a disorder that is sometimes really difficult to function with. Like it makes it hard to go about your daily routine because you have to participate in rituals and deal with these intrusive thoughts. So I just think that sucks. Oh, it's not just being really good at counting? No, and it's sucks. Like, it's not a superpower? Yeah, if you just like to have your things in a certain way, you don't, that's not necessarily the same thing as OCD. So calm on down. Yeah. Dick. and then we just talked about this and pulled it open so my thoughts aren't like super refined on this but when everybody comes back all these dead bodies there's no differentiation like you were saying and pulled it open between people who were disabled in life like all of a sudden they are renewed in cyberman bodies standing upright yeah like also i mean the fact the other layers like they're all called cybermen (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. Like, but there's it's just like that, one flavor. Of there is this army. one body. Yeah, there's one body. And it works, quote unquote, the right way. Big old scare quotes. What a like incredible load of horse shit. Yeah. But yeah, I feel uncomfortable about that holding up of the ideal body. Yeah, and it's not really just framed in the way that's like, look at the enemy and look at the villain of the episode doing it wrong and thinking that's the way it works but it doesn't acknowledge how that wouldn't even work in our world where human bodies are so different that you can't just like assimilate them like it just doesn't work yeah they're playing it as it could work and the bad part about that is making them into an alien army not that that assimilation itself is the wrong yeah yeah Ugh. and finally just to cap off this round of ableist shit, pain is a gift. And get, that is coming from our hero. Yeah, get fucking wrecked, man. So we're sp- because it's coming from the hero, we're supposed to believe that it's something true and profound. I gotta tell you, people with chronic pain or mental health issues are not super powered slash inspirational slash whatever else because of the additional pain we feel. My depression yeah. certainly doesn't feel like a fucking gift, ass monkey. Oh, and this is the narrative that we tell people with physical disabilities as well. Yes. This is the best thing that could happen to you because you learn how to be stronger it's through it. so much. Ugh. And, like, you overcome something that you wouldn't have to have overcome before. So yeah. you are just a stronger person. You are a hero. You are inspirational. No, like, they're a fucking human being, and that is coming from a super privileged perspective saying, like, this is actually a blessing in disguise. Yeah, and you're just using it as cover to not deal with the fact that actually the way that I am, whether it's through a mental health issue or through a physical disability, literally makes the world different. And you don't want to have to think about how you have so much privilege and how the world is catered for you versus somebody who is differently bodied or has a different brain and moves through the world in a different way. And that's easier to just be like how inspirational than to be like "Mm, i actually if i was in that position couldn't do the stuff i do let's think about that no it's easier (laughs) it's definitely easier to say they have different blessings than i do that come in a form of a disability and it all evens out in the end because they get to be like i am not as strong as them get fucking wrecked officially Mm, eat glass and lastly regarding the whole anti-military sentiment that the doctor has been 
demonstrating throughout this series. Yeah. It feels very untidy at the end because he actually relies on a soldier to carry out something that he knows a soldier would do. Yeah. So Danny gives the orders to the Cybermen army, although at the same time he's saying, I don't need an army. Yeah. But, you know, I have this friend soldier conveniently over here to my left who, you know, remember that one time I relentlessly gave him shit because yeah. he was a soldier? But, you know, even what? up to his last moments, oh God. he's calling him P.E. as he's dying. Cool, Incredible. cool, cool. <laughs> but it's like, you know, sentimental or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, like him, yeah, he could carry out those orders. Yeah. Does it so even... doesn't that work out? Does it? Does being anti-military even count if you are ultimately paving the way for other soldiers to commit the war crimes that you're saying you're too good to commit? And counting on it that they will do that? Mm. Like, it just, it feels pretty unresolved, especially since there is a moral to this story at the end that the show is painting. Yeah. Saying, you know, we may have been trying to critique the idea of armed forces or the military this whole time, but really we're just saying the army is a force of good because you know what? They keep you safe at night. <laughs> the promise of a soldier! And we're showing that as a heroic statement. You will sleep safe tonight. Yeah, and you can trust it because it's an army of soldiers, not somebody carrying out a like a commander's wishes. Right, it's just coming this from... This is the promise of a soldier! Yeah, and they're framing that as a totally different situation, even though it's still performed through the army and that structure, without, yeah. in the end, ever really finishing asking questions of what does keep us safe. Yeah, not really interrogating it at all. No, like, is this system inherently have roots in nationalism or the idea of nationalism and how that could play out even intergalactically yeah and who does the army actually keep safe and are those organizations really something that is a positive force in this world yeah whatever who cares <laughs> yeah so it's just kind of a boring <laughs> storyline to begin with and they don't do a good job at finishing it up so no, they don't yeah maybe i just wish they would have left that narrative alone yeah Okay, what about Bechtel and DuVernay? How do we feel about that for this episode? Yeah, this episode would pass the Bechtel test, mm. and the scene I'm thinking of in particular is between Missy and Osgood. Oh, what a great scene. Yeah, it's like kind of amazing when multiple women get to talk to each other in yes. a scene, and I also, especially when it doesn't include men. Like I quite enjoy seeing a woman get to be the bad guy. She does such a good job at she it. She is so good at it. Michelle Gomez is superb. What about DuVernay? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Danny, as a prop, does not count. <laughs> no, he's like scenery facilitating the movement between scenes that are interactions of the Doctor and Clara and Missy and the Doctor. Like, he's just a prop that's being used in all of those interactions. Unfolding that storyline. Yeah. Yep, he's demonstrated and seen as helpless and an object of pity, which, again, is just, like, the opposite of having agency and driving the storyline and having a developed character arc. And, I mean, that's just finishing off a season of all of that. Yes. Where, because of how underdeveloped his character was this entire season, his lack of agency here as, yet again, another helpless black boyfriend in Doctor yeah. Who. It just feels like a trope to move the other characters' plots forward. Yeah, and they try to back track, right? Because he's resisting the they Cyberman sure hive mind and he's the hero. But it's just, he's not developed enough for that note to stick. So it just feels silly. It feels like an afterthought. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but that does not hit. I wish it did. I wish they did develop that yeah. character and I wish it could have ended in a meaningful way, but it sure didn't. Ugh. Oh man, I hate depressing shows. Turn it off. But this is 
this is the episode? No, put on Ratatouille. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I can't put on Ratatouille, but we can go to a word from our sponsor. Yeah, okay. This podcast is brought to you by Missy Cyberpollen. Crop proliferation is such hard work, and it necessitates so many resources and so much time. But why bother with traditional methods when new technological advances can allow you to increase your efficiency and cut production time down exponentially? Try using Missy Cyberpollen instead. Using our patented cyber technology, all it takes is one miniature explosion to deploy the cyberpollen, which will trigger a technological storm to help spread your crops more quickly than you could ever imagine. Bring your farm back from the dead with Missy's cyberpollen. Now that we're in the heart of the TARDIS, let's talk about some feels and some supposed morals of this episode. Okay. I think this is another episode that has two hearts. Yes. Two messages. Yes. Two strong messages. So first, Missy is trying to make the point that the doctor is actually just as bad as she is, but she accidentally ends up <laughs> helping him see that good and bad aren't really real or helpful categories. Yeah. Way to take a toxic message and turn it around, flip it. For your own advantage. Yeah, instead he actually ends up remembering why he ran in the first place, which was to be free from expectations, have fun, maybe help out a little bit around. But mostly he was like trying to have a good time. Yeah, I think this is honestly the best stance that Doctor Who can take, specifically the Doctor as a character, that they are no more superior than the people they are trying to protect. Mm. And they are just as much of a clown as all of us. And he recognizes, okay, I may not have moral superiority here, and I don't need to, but I do have power, and what is in my power, I can help with that. And then I think the second heart in this TARDIS is that it's beginning to tee up the next series as a meditation on what it means to be friends or just the nature of friendship in general. Because we get lots of chitty chat about Missy being friends with the doctor and how it's a super bizarre but real brand of friendship. They are friends even though she is actively doing hateful things and threatening to kill his friends and she's been ruining all of his plans or whatever, but they are still friends. And that sort of friendship gets placed up against the Doctor and Clara's friendship at the end of this episode where they're lying to each other because they're trying to give each other happy endings, but they are both lying. Both such a mess. Yeah. Can you imagine if that had been actually how Clara left the show? Could you imagine? That, that would was be a re- the original devastating. plan. She's going to leave at the end of series eight. How fucked up would that yeah, be? It's so upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Every time I kind of re- remember that that's where they were going to end it. And I was like, good thing they didn't do that. Woof. Yeah. Speaking of the meditation on friendship, specifically between the Doctor and Clara, mm-hmm. remember that setup in the second episode, Into the Dalek, when the season was doing the absolute most to really establish the doctor as detached and insensitive and all of that. So here in this episode, we have one of those full circle moments where we get the payoff to what they were setting up. Mm. So in that Into the Dalek episode, they're trying to figure out what to call Clara. Not my assistant, my care, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. But in here, Kate calls Clara the doctor's assistant and he immediately corrects her saying, my friend. My friend. Yeah. So full circle. Da da da. Payoff. 
they are in very overt ways and in very subtle ways and just in all sorts of ways they're building up that like oh this is actually a true strong friendship where these two people learn about each other they need each other and they love each other in a really powerful unique way mm. and what's the one kind of boat that can never ever sink what kind a friendship F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere and anytime at all. Down here in the deep blue sea. Is it time? It is time. The crack in time and space is waiting. What shall we send to it today? I would like to send Clara wanting to fix Danny's inhibitor so she can die to a crack in time and space. Mm. Tell uh, me more. It doesn't feel like Clara to me. It really doesn't. I know love makes us fools. I've certainly been a clown in love. Sorry, babe. But I don't I don't believe this. I don't find it believable. Right. So not the fact that Clara's wanting to do a kindness. I find that pretty brave. Yeah. But the and fact, very on brand. Yeah. But the fact that the way Moffat is setting it up as a woman who is in love changes. And as soon as that relationship is threatened, they would give everything everything up for it they yeah their life is meaningless without them clara's like what is a strategy what is a plan i'm no longer clever or think outside of the box i just want to go with the first solution that is kill myself so that yeah. danny's emotions can be turned off which again i think that her instinct to listen to danny in that moment and how do we solve for his pain right now? Of course, she's being a real one in that moment. But, like, it's just set up in the way it's just like, oh, well, then I obviously have to die. Yeah. And, like, that's what people in love do, right? It's, like, par for the course for Moffat. Yeah. Yeah. That's his only understanding of romance is, yes. like, someone has to live for a thousand million years and torture themselves or someone has to die in the name of love. And there's no other way to express that. I don't know. I yeah. just... <laughs> In fact, the most recent episode of Tarbis talks about this in a totally different storyline where we see Moffat doing the same shit. So their most recent episode is Angels Take Manhattan, where Amy and Rory's run with the doctor ends by them living out their lives happily ever after in New York. In the 40s? In the fucking 40s. <laughs> no, Amy Pond could not exists as she is in, mm. in that time era. But she's, of course, happy to do so because she's with her love with Rory and everything is fine, right? But it's just like the nonsensicalness of that, just how implausible it would be for a character like Amy to to do that, but we don't really get into it. And Robin mentions it's because Moffat honestly just loves his women to be sassy and bold and capable until they ultimately settle down and devote themselves to the man who they are in love with. That's yeah. like his brand, right? Yeah, which is like very par for the course for Moffat and very much what that poor woman he shouted down at Gallifrey was trying to say. Like, yes, you write women who are bold and strong and in independent because he was like I just don't see how you could say that about somebody who wrote River Song well the point of it is man that ultimately at the end of their storylines these women no matter how capable or independent or strong they were they get reinscribed back into big scare quotes traditional female roles which is the wife or if they don't want to be a wife they get dead yeah that's not feminism <laughs> not great two options no and that's the same, I mean, that's been going on for forever. Shakespeare does that. You get a bunch of badass women in Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, even though they're allowed room within plays to be bold or be murderous, Lady Macbeth was what? Ultimately, 
they have to be reinscribed back into their appropriate roles, which is either get dead or get married. Great plan. There's no other option, and Cool. Bye, Ronimo. Bitch. So on that cheerful note, are, do we want to close out by talking about our top three moments? Hell yeah. We have so many. Yeah. We may have more than three. We'll find out. Okay. I'll start off with the Osgood invitation to travel with the doctor. Yeah. All of time and space. All of time and space. Just something to think about. <laughs> I would have loved to have <laughs> seen Osgood. List. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen Osgood on the TARDIS. Oh my God, right? I know. Osgood would have loved it. to see <laughs> Osgood on the TARDIS. The, the doctor is saying exactly that. I also love, this is a cheat because it's the whole scene, but I really love Missy telling from like the second she tells Osgood, I'm going to kill you in a minute. I'm not even kidding. You're going to be as dead as a fish in a slab any second now, all floppy and making smells. But don't tell the boys. This is our secret girl plan. And then her countdown is great. Oh my god. She like gets a countdown. <laughs> Would a countdown help you focus at all? Nope, that's okay. Ten. No, don't be scared because I'm still I'm in double scared. Nine. Well, no, of course you're not because you know you're dying anyway. She gets to three and she says, oh, I've jumped for dramatic effect. Three. Three. I'm accelerating for dramatic effect. <gasps> oh. What's that in your pocket? And when Osgood's like, I don't have these, and she pulls out the lipstick and is putting it on, she's oh, like, Oh my giddy aunt. Quiet ones are the worst. Well, those aren't mine. Then oh. they must be mine. That whole scene, just peak Michelle Gomez. Oh, yeah. I mean, even before the moment you mentioned, it's like she starts the scene off by singing Missy Missy, You're, you're So Fine. fine. <laughs> like, uh, iconic. Yep. Some of the best Missy moments in her Doctor Who career. That whole entire scene, you're completely right to not single out. You can't find just one moment in How? that scene. Yeah. No, How? no way. <laughs> she kind of saves this episode in a sense. Like, yeah. it's kind of incoherent, kind of forced, but... Damn. All the best parts have Michelle Gomez. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, so speaking of Michelle Gomez, totally different scene, but a very good one-liner when she's talking to Seb. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> You're an AI interface. Kindly delete your opinions. Thank you. We're just going to start saying kindly delete your opinions when somebody says something we don't like. Oh, yeah. If you're some straight white dude with a quote-unquote hot take about our podcast, you already know what you're going to get. So Coming at your hat. Yeah. Okay. What and up? then our bonus top three, top four. Bonus Jonas. Bonus Jonas. Gotta be Clara telling the doctor, thank you for making me feel special. Thank you for that. Thank you for making me feel special. Thank you for exactly the same. What a great, I mean, end cap if that was so going to be wasn't. their <laughs> ending. I'm so glad it wasn't. But it is a great summary of their friendship thus yeah. far. It's so sad when they both take off after that. He disappears and she walks sadly down the lane. Oh, Fuck that. Brutal. But still sad. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think it's necessarily right or it's actual love or if it's just the way that we teach ourselves to hide ourselves and not ask too much of someone. But I think it it's, is, it's trying to be kind. Yeah, and also I think it's largely because the doctor cannot say I love you to her and she mm -hmm. knows that and so she has modeled 
Right. Like she gets to hug him in this one. Oh, also when he's crying when she's hugging him. His mm. face. <laughs> but ultimately, because he has told her I'm not comfortable with feelings, they don't talk about them. And so she is she's meeting him where he's at by not saying I love you. And yeah. the closest they can get is thank you for making me feel special. So I think it's very much like a sign of their friendship and also their inability to tell each other how important they are mm-hmm. to one another, which is why I'm glad she comes back and- for another season. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, because (laughs) he gets to the point where he gets better at that. Yeah. And it's kind of cool that she is actually really articulate, and that's a skill she has. And, you know, she doesn't demand that of him as well. She knows that, hey, that's my skill. doesn't mean it's his. And there's many ways to show love, and I don't need everyone to demonstrate love in the way that I communicate it. Yeah. And that put that unnecessary pressure on someone. Brenna, thank you for making me feel special. Oh, thank you for exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) All right, queerdos. That's a wrap on season eight. We did it. Thanks for writing with us thus far. Well, we still have the Christmas special. Right, 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 right. So I guess next week we will officially close out the season with last Christmas. Mm -hmm. Get excited. Christmas, I gave you my fart, but the very next day... You flushed it away. You can't flush a fart. You don't know. (laughs) Maybe you can't. (laughs) Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. If you've enjoyed this season of The Queer Archive, now is actually a great time to leave us a quick review so that other creators can find us as well and join the fandom. Until next time. Be gay. Do crimes. Yeah. Tune on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever, yeah.